I'm hitting record. Here we are, folks. My first podcast slash interview slash guest. Um, as you know, most of what I do is out of the studio, Space Coast Podcast Studios in sunny Central Florida. And I do a very set format where I'm the only one speaking and it's in a professional kind of studio looking atmosphere and yada, 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 ding. Um, but what I'm going to do now is something a little different. And we're going to interview a fellow that I met on Facebook. He's a young man. Uh, he runs the Out of the Blank podcast. Um, he goes by the name of Robbie. And Robbie's uh, actually, I have a daughter that's very close to Robbie's age. And he's a wise for his age young man and seems to be a very hard worker. And long story short, Robbie, um, and by the way, interject at any point here if you want to, but Robbie found me on Facebook on one of these bulletin pages uh, about with guests, uh, like I'll guest on yours, you guest on mine kind of thing or whatever. And uh, people exchange information. And uh, I was, I guessed it on Robbie's show and it was pretty cool and it went well. And we, I think spoke for two hours. And uh, we've spoken since and um, fascinated with Jason Momoa, which we're going to dive into and uh, find out if he's also into Greg Luganis and uh, some other stars that I'll throw his way to see if that uh, which way his Peter teeters. But um, that being said, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, Robbie out of the blank. I was enjoying all the compliments. I'm sorry. No problem. I was hearing too much uh, credit to where my stupidity arises. I think a lot of what goes on and a lot of what interests me is people that get interested in something and kind of bring realism to the world. And you do that a lot with your podcast. You, you know, you bring some real shit that comes to light. The fact that you were sending me pictures of fake imposter types, uh, shooter situations where I was like, all right, he's a little bit crazy, but then he started explaining it to me and kind of like leveling it out. And now I'm seeing it in the news. I'm like, Oh shit, this guy's hmm. got some um, information on a world that people are not really truly looking at because they think it can't be like that. Let me tell you something. It is like that. You know, uh, if it's a duck, like it looks like a duck. It flies like a duck. I think it's if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck or something funny like that. Quacky. If it looks like Jason Momoa has his shirt off, it's a good movie. <laughs> it's Jason Momoa. Tell everybody, because and you'd be telling me as well, by the way, um, how did the Jason Momoa thing start? I only know him from Aquaman. I'm not a big TV watcher. I definitely am not much of a stargazer anymore. I used to be a lot more. I kind of hate Hollywood and have my own theories on that. Um, where did the Momoa thing come from? I mean, you're not alone, but I me. think I saw it a lot on memes, people making like this thing, like Jason Momoa, he's so godly, so handsome. And then what really got my fascination with him is when people gave him a lot of flack for the dad bod. Uh, people like he, on after right. Aquaman and everything that came out, on his birthday weekend, he had cake, beer, and all this stuff. And people got a, a bad picture of him. You know, the press got a bad picture of him. And uh, he was like, Okay, like, you know, I don't have that 24 seven. And I was able to re like relate to that. Like I do have a six pack, but I don't keep it 24 seven. And a right. lot of people have unrealistic expectations with what they should look like or how they should act in a world where we're built on a pretty, pretty shady foundation. I like to think. It's interesting that that was the angle that you took was uh, this muscular hunk of beef getting body shamed um oh, he's fucking handsome i gotta say come on i mean I, good looking guy have you noticed no very good looking guy i'm not a big long hair guy uh by the way i'm a straight guy but I, I, honestly and, and i always make a joke i'm probably too heterosexual but uh <laughs> you know very handsy and um but i'm also a pretty logical reasonable guy who will admit when there's a good looking person uh some people are good looking some aren't some are on the fence some aren't he's a good looking guy have you noticed though can, can you know the one imperfection he has is he's got a slight wandering eye have you caught that yeah i have does that fuck with you at all not really um mostly because i'm pretty sure just like any girl out there when they're looking at jason Momoa, they're not looking at his eyes they're more like looking at his chest or his abs or his body sure. physique but eyes are a big um 
people are big on eyes. I mean, hey, look at these baby blues. Uh, but you're right. I think that the wandering eye like starts to go really down the totem pole if you have uh, the body he does. And if you're carrying the old donkey D, you know what I mean? I don't think that anybody's eyeball. I mean, if you're packing 10 and you're thick and you know how to, and you know how to fuck, I think you can pluck your eyeball out and the girl won't give a shit. I think a First, lot of people try and choose like something wrong with somebody or judge somebody based on that. And I think that's an imperfection within themselves, mostly because you're trying to highlight something that is not that big of a problem. Like it's pretty true. common characteristic for guys to give a girl a one-sided compliment like oh you're very very pretty but you know you do have that wonky eye because it's it's it makes them feel good and then it's like also taking yeah. away the compliment guys are stupid in that regard you should just disregard the little but people are thing. doing that more and more often now dude we're in a world of constantly judging eyes and constantly wandering eyes depending on who you are i think right. the whole reason is we choose to highlight imperfections because we're so subjected to being in a perfect society where everyone has to look, talk, and act the same, which is a lot of like people kind of might find it difficult for you or to listen to your stuff because you're spouting information that people are not truly aware of or don't want to dive into because sure, don't want to hear of the answers. Yeah. I also, I feel that part of it too is my delivery. Um, I, I've, if I had a nickel for every time in my life, I was told it's not what you say, it's the way you say it. And uh, it could be very biting. It could be very direct. Um, I probably am overly passionate in uh, a lot of regards, certainly with the things that I feel um, and that I've given a lot of thought to. And I think it's also sometimes one of the downsides of being intelligent. With com- well, sometimes with intelligence comes the you're smarter than everybody else factor because a lot of the times you're smarter than everybody else around you. And I mean, it's like being better looking or a faster runner. Sometimes that's just a fact and it's okay to embrace that carefully. Um, and, uh, you know, so that, you know, you don't want to look like, um, too much of a big head or too, uh, too cocky or arrogant as some people would say, which is kind of off putting to people. Um, but I can tell you what, most people that are cocky or arrogant um, usually have a bunch of good qualities. That's why they're cocky and arrogant. People that are down on themselves and are not cocky or arrogant or not confident, which is that fine line. Here's a little thing for you to absorb, the fine line between confidence and cocky and arrogance. But people that don't feel that at all or any of those feelings don't have a lot of redeeming qualities, typically. Uh, truly be confident, you got to have the basically true – mindset of i don't give a shit about what anybody thinks about me i have to truly be who i am you know it's that old guy confidence you experience in the locker room they're just letting it all hang out not giving a shit at some point you have to learn like what is this person that i meet for five minutes out of my day going to affect me for the rest of my life to the point where i need to focus on everything to make my appearance more pleasing to them i've went to the grocery store wearing sweatpants because i was not feeling well or not being feeling like I should go. And what do you normally wear a speedo? Sometimes. I mean, sometimes I I like to go free ball in it, but you know, yeah. With a speedo, essentially you're doing that. Security doesn't want to tackle you when you're naked. They just don't. It's it's also a great place to hide a, uh, a little can of Carmex. I don't know about maybe in your situation, but I would be in the cucumber aisle. Um, Ah, Oh, you're going for bragging rights. I understand. (laughs) Then that's why, and thus the eggplant emoji that you're affiliated with, uh, they call him uh, Captain Eggplant, um, which is pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, why? Why don't you tell us if if you'd like to share? Um, I'm treating this kind of like um, the way you did your podcast. By the way, I introduced you. Do you want to show who you are at any point, or you're just doing really serious research right now? I'm doing very extensive research in my inner self only because. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Right. So keep doing that and hopefully you find what you're looking for inside one of your chakras. Um, here's what I would say to you is if you would like, and I didn't probably explain this, but on Robbie's Out of the Blank podcast, his format is basically a, a, a nice interview. Conversation. With- I'm sorry. Mm, thank you. Why don't you tell us exactly what what is it that your podcast is about, please? I already fucked it up. Well, it's cool 
I mean, if people want to look it up, they can. Uh, but I don't try and highlight the whole aspect of getting views or anything of this sort. It's more like we all live on this world together. And to truly understand, I think knowledge is all about understanding and experience. And you have to look at both sides of the spectrum. Why someone thinks this way and let's see their critical thinking on it. I think too many of us make justifications and claims based on our own knowledge and we're completely ignorant of the other side of views. So I try and talk to people for an hour, usually two hours. I don't usually limit them, but just enough time to kind of be able to understand where they're coming from and also maybe get their experience or dream out there that where they want to feel like they're affecting the world. Tell everybody who these people are because it's kind of, it's pretty random. Explain If you would explain that you have people from all walks, you know, give a couple of examples because it seems like it's very random. It's, it's just like you said, it's a conversation. I see you're going to find out, you find out. I see the beauty comes in from different people. I mean, the average person is perfect for my show. I think when someone gives me an answer saying they're not fit for my show is they don't understand what it is. It's just a conversation. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about. If you want to talk about Bigfoot one minute, if you want to talk about psychology the next, if you want to talk about things, I have a passion for seeing other people's inspiration and realizing this world's not very dull. We all truly care about each other. And there's truly some weird and interesting stuff going on in the earth. Whether it's, I've podcasted people from Australia. I mean, I'm more than willing to sacrifice getting up at one one o'clock in the morning, my time to podcast with someone. Like I have plans to do that in tomorrow, basically. And that's just because I truly, I truly care about motivation. I also truly care about, like, I'm not a motivational poster guy, but I truly understand that we're all very, very unique, but we act one in the same. And I so think you don't have the picture of the cat hanging from the ball of yarn saying, hang in there on your wall anywhere? No, mine's more like the Yoda poster that says, do or do not, there is no try. Interesting. I also heard that you once played in a, a, a I think, bass guitar for a band in your area called Yoda's Choda. Is that true? Yoda's Choda, I, I like to call it the burning saber. Interesting. Interesting. That means that it has an STD, so be very careful with that saber. Well, it hurts um, when I pee. Yeah, well, that's one way to tell that you have one. We're talking with Robbie. I don't want to use his last name because he is in witness protection, and um, they used to call him the uh, Danbury Diddler, and, uh, but he's working on that. And, uh, of course, I'm kidding. Of course, I'm kidding. Um, that's why he's hiding his face. But um, bottom line is, he has a very <laughs> exposed Jeffrey Epstein. I am Epstein's keeper. Well, a lot of um, people kind of realize to truly get information out there, you have to be fun. You have to bring also humor in. Nobody wants to feel like they're hearing a speech or they're hearing a monetized script. You have to truly, like, I, I get messages all the time. What's your structure to your show? Give me a list of stuff you're going to ask me. Okay, I'm not going – listen to an episode. You would understand that that's not what it's about. Right. It's about truly showing who you, know, who you are. What do you find awesome? What do you not like? Let's talk about it and let's try and you know, at least understand who another person is. There's 9 billion people on this earth, okay? I think I can sacrifice a couple days of sleep to be able to try and get everybody's story out there. This guy's trying to talk to 9 billion people, folks. I mean, can we get him a fucking GoFundMe? I mean, hello, bing bong. Um, one thing you didn't tell anybody was, and maybe I don't even think I know this, is why did you choose that title for your podcast? Because that's what the title, I guess, describes what it is. It's out of the blank. It's literally out of the blank pulling, means it, out of, pulling it out of nothing. What, do you, what, do you, what are you interested in? There you go. It's not so specific. instead of out of nowhere, you went with out of the blank. I always thought it was because you liked the match game and it was, you know, like out of the blank, kind of like fill it in like a Mad Lib, but that's not what it is. Well, you know, my spinoff was fill in the blank. So you would, you would, you would literally, we would focus on specific topics for 30 minutes. We would just talk about something. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I got to tell you that another voice I do is Dr. Phil. And he has a podcast called Fill in the Blank, but it's about <laughs> Fill in the Blank, Phil McCrevis. This I guy, I got to tell you, first. yes, he, I know you're a big fan of his too. He's a very, I, honestly, I like him, but I do too. I see, I see his, I see his rationale and thinking. I don't hate I wish anybody. he was my dad. Why do you wish Dr. Phil was your dad? He would analyze the I hell out of it. 
That's for starters. Well, um, let me play you the world's smallest violin. Ooh. <laughs> I'm just as kidding. You go, as you get to go see your dad later on and go uh, have a beer and a hot dog and then go to the movies. Um, no, I, Dr. Phil, there's something endearing about him. I don't know if he's a total phony. Um, because Oprah discovered him, I kind of think he is. Um, and I don't like his show's format because it's, I, still, I find it very negative like a lot of these daytime talk shows are, which I grew up on. Um, I'm a big, I was a big talk show junkie, man. I gotta be honest. And I, and one of the things that separated me, another little thing, just on a side note, making this podcast about me instead of you at this point now is Phil Donahue. I don't know if you know who he is, but Phil Donahue was like the first daytime talk show host that really mattered. And he was big in the eighties. He had white hair, silver hair, and he would bring on celebrities, Hollywood types, whatnot. And then he would also bring on anything that was topical in the news. And, and he had a big audience and they would get to actually interact. It was one of the few where the audience got to ask questions, but it wasn't in Jerry Springer style. It wasn't to insult the people. It was to ask legitimate questions and learn things from the guests. And he had everybody was everybody. And I would see it when I was home in summertime or any type of vacation because I think it was like 9 a.m. Phil Donahue spawned Sally Jesse Raphael, Geraldo, Maury Povich, all the junk you have now, but they went the shit route. Those shows were not like that. Jenny Jones started the shit. Richard Bay in New York started shit. Morton Downey was kind of shit. But just so you know, Phil Donahue, and I didn't know one kid my age, and you're talking early teens, man. I was a young, I was like 10, 11, 12 years old. And not one kid I knew of my peers or anything watched Phil Donahue or probably even knew who the fuck he was. And that was one of the signs I was different as well in getting information. I watched everything I could like a sponge. One of the things I didn't tell you where I picked up on a lot of probably negative as well. When my dad would get drunk and I would come home unsupervised when I was a little, little boy and I was with my dad five through eight years old, a little boy after my mom left, we had cable TV at a very, when it was invented, I had cable literally when it was laid in the fucking ground. I watched MTV launch as a channel. I watched HBO launch as a channel. I had cable for whatever reason, that part of Fort Lauderdale, we just had it. Back when MTV was actually MTV. And it wasn't when they play exactly when it was a real thing and it was awesome. And they played videos and all that. And it wasn't like fucking everybody's culture up. Um, I would come home to a passed out dad and that meant cable TV all night, all night on supervised TV watching. And I literally went into his room. He had the color TV and every night I would soak up cable and it was probably some of my exposure to pornography and just the, all of the music that I'm knowledgeable of from that era. And just, I watched it all, man. I would stay up as late as possible watching cable. Well, I and never- it really absorbed a lot at an early age. I can relate to a little bit like to what you're talking about to be a sense of realness here. Um, like, you know, I had experience. My dad was an alcoholic. I stay away from alcohol. 21 years old, still haven't bought a legal drink yet. I think you have to understand that not even a hard root beer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sir, actually, that's not a hard one. Exactly. He goes soft root beer. Good for you. Huh. Okay. I didn't know there was a difference, <laughs> but yeah, they, to- make, they make alcohol sodas now. So there's oh, like yeah, hard yeah. lemonade. They have hard root beer. I think, you have to look at like him going through that. I saw where I was influenced not to drink heavily and not to drink at all. I steered away from it. It was something that benefited me and my character, but I've also witnesses seen the downsides of alcohol. I've seen some nights he came home on this stuff, but I also saw the change he made in his life where he's at now where um, he's totally rerouted himself. But I think, a lot of what you can chalk up to someone that goes through something like that, a lot of people don't give someone that went through something a chance or had a hard life a chance because they seem like they're just a detriment. Like they've or they're always going to be a piece of shit. I'm like, that's not true. They have a constant affliction. They have to fight for the rest of their life. And I think even being able to say that, especially with the stuff that we went through as a family was the fact that I had to experience and expand my knowledge through other people's understandings and try and see things from a more open-minded and also the other perspective side. And I think that's a lot what you have to do nowadays. People are too quick to make claims. You, you should understand first. You should yeah. try and see the rationale thinking even if you don't believe it in the long run. Yeah. Uh, people don't do that. They, like you just said, they put yourself in the other shoes category because it's too hard to do. Nobody wants to take the time to give that thought 
And boy, it would change a lot of attitudes and opinions of people if you just stepped back, put yourself in someone else's situation and really give it thought, like we said. Um, we are just such a rushed culture that we don't even take the time to do that. You know, the microwave cultures, they used to call it. We just, we are, we love blurbs. Nobody reads articles. They read a quick headline. Um, you know, it's, it's very interesting. We just don't have attention spans and human beings. One of the things that made us special as opposed to other animals was an incredible attention span. Should you want one? And by the way, that's happening a lot with your culture, unfortunately, not you, but again, your culture and the social media, cell phone culture, smartphone, social media culture is the, the worst attention spans of any generation we've ever had. It's just, it's just not a very there's no focus. There's an extreme lack of focus. And if you aren't that, congratulations to you. You are against the trend because out of a hundred people like you, um, 80 of them are. And that's yeah. just a fact. Well, I, I see it with my friends, you know, being so there you go. Thank my you. My generation is actually getting worse too. I'm seeing my grandparents be a little bit affected by it too. Or I actually had to take the tablet away from my grandma because I was like, look, we used to sit down at the dinner table and talk i guarantee you the statistics with families that have dinner together are very very low um unless you come oh, from yeah, a giant yeah, yeah. family Absolutely. where and you probably don't have a lot of technology in your household you know you you had a trouble contacting me today you know we missed we we're playing call tag back and forth because of the fact is i leave my phone in the car when i go into the store because mm -hmm. a, a 20 minute grocery trip turns into four hours when you have your phone in your pocket that's pretty, that's a, that's a sick, you're very sick if that's happening 20 minutes to four hours. So yeah, but I leave you, it in the car you have too. to realize you go into a store, your, your idea there is to get something. Okay. Not mm -hmm. to be on the phone, not to be watching a YouTube video, not to be tweeting, not to be texting, not to be doing these th things. I see so many kids, my own age, even older than me, even adults will be walking and looking at their cell phone and bump right into me and then expect me to apologize. Like I was the one that <laughs> I'm the I wrong person them, to have like, that fucking happen to. I'm like, yeah. excuse me? And they go, what? And they get angry at me. I'm like, you're about to fight me for bumping into me. I'm like, whoa. Like, yeah. I see that, and I'm like, I don't want to be like that. I, I, I understand his side. He probably has some side shit going on. Maybe he's dealing with some type of affliction or dealing with something like that. But I think it's all like you have to choose what you want to be in this life. You can't choose – you can't let others decide for you. The addiction with phones and technology nowadays is because everyone's looking in for an escape from reality. I mean, half the time you turn on to the news anymore, it's just bad shit. It's mean world syndrome. The fact that in uh, old folks' homes, they have their TVs locked on a certain channel. The reason why is because if they sit at, you're sitting at home all day, what are you going to do, especially if you're of an older generation where you read the fucking newspaper? Right. You sat there and you paid attention to the news. What's going on in the world today? Well, elderly people they found were having a harder perception of what the world is, and they were making justifications based on what they saw on TV, what the news played. There's always been murder. There's always been all this weird shit going on, but it has never had a market or a type of platform to be produced so loudly. Mean world syndrome is the theory that when you're sitting at home all day, you have nothing to do. You're going to be addicted to watching the TV and it's going to be news and it's going to be bad shit. Well, they lock their channels on trivia and wheel of fortune because they don't want them to go into that. They want them to realize like, this is what you're going to be interested in. Okay. It's like if I lock the child's TV on cartoons, that's all he's going to be able to watch. If I let him hit all the channel access buttons, you're going to be like me when I was 13 and buying a bunch of movies that you shouldn't have been buying and charging up your parents' credit card or something. Right. Well, it's an interesting point. You've actually brought that up before, so it's something you've clearly thought about. Um, yeah, old folks are, are kind of simple. I ha I've had a lot of experience with old folks for, uh, interestingly enough, I um, when my mother did come and get me from my father and, and the stepfather I had, he, we would visit his mom and dad a lot. They had money. They were religious. And also, um, he brought. He, we would always see their, his aunts and uncles and all these people. And they were all elderly, and they were really, really nice to me. I liked being around them because I had no semblance of family before that. Um, with my, you know, them, them splitting up, and all of my outer family was in New York. I know. Um, I'm gonna. I have to let this dog out for one quick second, but I just want to make this point. Hold on, Teddy. And that is um, uh, going back to what you're saying with old people as well. Was 
my mother worked in a rehabilitation center in Hallandale when I was a little kid. And so when I had to visit her, I know. Stop. Stop. Pause at the bottom real quick. We can just hit play again. Can we do that real yeah, quick? Pause. I didn't think he's going to be an asshole about it. All right. One second. There's the pause. And we're back. So as I was saying, a very odd experience I had. Did you ever see, see The Shining? Yeah. Jack Nicholson scaring the crap out of me. Yeah. He should be president. That guy has done every drug and banged <laughs> everybody. Peter Fonda just died too. Another big drug addict. Anti-Trumper. Um, I, my mother worked at this rehabilitation center. This was just a very odd experience having to deal with old people. Cause when I reflect on it, so I would, she would pick me up or I would get dropped off there while she still had to work. And I would roam the hallways of this old folks place where they essentially went to die. And it was like the shining for me because I would walk the hallway and look in the rooms where they they have their door open, whatever, you know, and sitting on the edge of the bed and like that slow turn of the head, like looking at you, like, you know what I mean? It was fucking cryptic and it scared the shit out of me, but it's still, I still was tempted by it. <clears throat> I've always been very kind to old people. It's helped me in my business. I assist them in any way possible. I have a soft spot for elderly people. I have a soft spot for handicapped people. I also believe it was because of exposure. I was exposed. So that was like, I was like seven years old watching dying people. That's unheard of. Children never are around that. The only time they are is if it's a dying relative. And typically it's only one. There's not a bunch of dying relatives that you usually deal with at such a young age. So to be, I was like in a place of death at a very young age. It did have an effect on me. It softened me to how I view these people. And um, again, also the handicapped. It's just, I'm really soft on that. And I was exposed to a young boy with Down syndrome who was the son of a coworker of my father's. And again, I was like, you know, six, seven years old. And, and that's not that common to be exposed to that. And immediately meeting him, like I just... I know it's a sappy thing about me. I have a very soft spot for those two groups of people because honestly, in our country, those two groups are two of the most forgotten groups. Nobody cares about the handicapped. They never gripe. Black people talk a lot of shit, fat people, fat shaming, women, gay people, transgenders. Everybody's got a bitch and a complaint. You know who doesn't? The handicapped. You know why? No one listens to them. And they got a legit beef too, man. I think it's the factor of your problems are your own and people get very, very overwhelmed, especially in a world today where we're seen as if you like, you're so structured by something you need to follow Jim that works the nine to five. That's not for everyone. I think the type of real people you can meet that have this type of thinking like I do are the ones that truly are awake when people are asleep because they can't function around people. They can't have logical conversations with people in everyday life. They walk around like these people have no fucking clue what's going on. Like they have no idea how they're acting towards one another. They're trying to be just like each other. And right. I feel like all our problems are so different, just like all of our passions are so unique. And the fact is, we're all so overwhelmed that when you say hi to someone, they go, don't talk to me. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And like, I have this going on. I have this going on. I have this to worry about. This to worry about. It's like, whoa, I just asked, did you want like a refill on your drink? That's all yeah. I asked. Like Lack of focus. Yeah, and I, I focus. think because everyone's so disconnected and fed so much bullshit all the time that you, you feel like the only way you can truly get what you want out to talk to somebody is by projecting yourself and being outlandish and being some type of thing. Nobody has conversations anymore. Nobody no. does it. Like we don't t choose to talk to each other anymore. You know, you barely talk to your family. You probably couldn't say, you know, not you per se, but people can't really oh, right. say what's going on in their family's lives. The fact that like, I take this analysis by talking to you and understanding how you talk and everything. You're a very devoted father to your kids. You know, you, you, you're, you're, it, the only factor is, is because you experienced not having a dad and you realized you wanted to better yourself by being somebody that has a, like have a structure to look by. Whether not you only, go ahead, I'm sorry that, well, that you just made a very important point though, that I want, that I have to interject that that same theory of what you said is really one of the only reasons my daughter's alive because 
first we contemplated abortion. It's as sad as that is to say, we were, I was 22, not ready. It was going to be her decision entirely. It was contemplated. We changed our minds. A lot of it had to do with her father giving us support that um, we weren't sure we would get. She was very nervous about that. I, I, I was with this girl for three months. This was literally thrown in my lap. Like, here it is. You're a man now. It's just got fucking real. Uh, 22 years old, just finding my way, didn't go to college, you know, bouncing around from jobs, meets a girl, likes girl, not in love, likes girl, wasn't careful, baby on the way. And like you just said, <clears throat> she gave me the door. Once she decided and said, I'm keeping this baby, she gave me the door, which I've learned now that I'm single, a lot of women nowadays do. They just let the man have the door. I don't want to see you. I don't want money. I don't want nothing. A lot of these guys are out just fucking having babies. And no one's taking care of their kids because a lot of it is these women are letting them get away with it. Side story. But I was given the door and I reflected on exactly what you said. And that was I had a father that didn't care enough to put the bottle down, ruined his family, wife beater, um, obviously daily Southern comfort alcoholic. And he neglected me through just basic, not giving a fuck. He didn't hit me like he hit my mom. He didn't really break my balls too much. It was just, we went two separate ways. My dad didn't do any dad things. No advice, no ball, no fucking pitch, no catch, no football, no anything a dad could do. We didn't build a model fucking plane. We didn't build an anything. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm talking about complete neglect of all the things you do other than putting a roof and a fucking clothes on the back and the food. But what you realized is a clear interpretation of how some people would take that would be that they're going to be just like their dad and they're not going to amount to anything and truly take it the wrong way. likelihood of that, that you emulate the behaviors. Again, very smart. And I broke four chains. Shit, you're not. One, alcoholic. Two, wife beater. Three, cigarette smoker. Both of my parents, Marlboro cigarettes, never smoked a day in my life. I smoked weed. I never smoked a cigarette. And number four was deadbeat dad. My, my, once I was not with my father anymore, he never gave a penny. My mother was going to put him in jail. I begged her crying, do not do that, please. So she toughed it out. She wound up having a pretty good job. It wasn't a big deal, but my dad gave no fucking child support. He would see me on weekends, buy me some shit, kept it very low key. He was spiraling anyways. He didn't have no money. Guy went from like, he just, he just spiraled out of control. Also a redemption story too, I want to mention, by the way, because you talked about how people can't fix themselves. I have two examples of that. I saved two people's lives, by the way. Which when did I about. say people can't fix themselves? I said no, you, you said they could when you're referring to the alcoholism yeah. and the father and somebody said like, like oh, you know, it's like, and you, you said, no, that's not necessarily true. People have that opportunity. You always do. You Every always do. Yeah. You, well, you saw a bad, you saw something bad that you wanted to stop that from happening again. You didn't want to continue the path that your father went down. You decided I'm going yeah. to be a better person than that. Cause I know what it's like to be that child in that situation. You weren't going to put it on anybody else. And Absolutely. I give you respect for that because the true, a lot of amount of the population, at least we've seen today is seen as that's what they see that and they're like, oh, that's just what I'm meant to be in life. It's like, no, you have the tools to be whatever you want to be, but you have to realize that nothing's going to get done unless you do something about it. I reflected on that's a, That's very true. Uh, we are all, you are your own company, man. You are your own corporation. You are your own entity. And because you have a brain and you're a human being, you have the capacity and capability to do amazing things our brains and, and what we, it's what we choose to do. Yes, it could be a challenge. It might be hard. It might be a long slog. Is, is it a slog? But it can be done. Just, just think of what man's created. You don't need too many examples to know what we can accomplish as human beings. I'm going to go off on a tangent here. I'm going to drop some fucking wisdom on you. Um, this is just a personal thought. I always thought it was funny when people use the term miracle of the miracle of life, the miracle, right? Everyone talks about like how having a child or life is a miracle. It's not. You want proof of why it's not? How many billions of people are on this planet? How many people that live before us? There's billions of people on the planet now, right? There was billions before. Not exactly a miracle, right? We fuck, we procreate, we have children. Correct? Yeah. Do you agree? Not exactly miraculous. 
Do you know what the miracle is? The miracle is life and having, for the most part, if you're lucky, 80 years of this miracle of life to accomplish whatever your dreams are, whatever you want to do, you can at least attempt it, try it, experience it. You can jump out of an airplane. You can sail the seas. You can, I mean, whatever it is, if you put your mind to it, and there's a little bit of luck involved with all the other shit, but at the end of the day, the miracle, the true miracle of life is your being and what you can accomplish. That's the miracle. Just being that animal plopped on earth, a lot of animals, bro. A lot of humans, a lot of other animals, right? Count them all. A lot of animals roaming the planet, in the water, in the sky, and on the land. Not too miraculous. But what's different is what we can do above all of what they do. Look at what we've created as a humanity, including the negative. Don't get me wrong. I, well, we also did the atom bomb, and I get that. But look at what we have fucking created that humanity and man has done that's the miracle. I see a lot of benefit, and I also see a lot of detriment with everything. I saw with I, flawed. I, I yeah, there is. Both perspectives. But you also have to take in what you said where, you know, everyone's kind of being like, oh, they're just kind of another statistic. Like, a lot of what happened in my, like, with my generation and school and everything like that, they thought they were just going to be another overdose victim or something of that sort, because that's the, right. that's what's happening now in my local area. And it's like, you're just considering yourself another statistic. People consider themselves another number, another face on a nameless planet. I'm like, no, we're all have an individual name. Like when you come onto my podcast, you're telling me the story of you, not the character you play. You're telling me you, your journey through life, your experience, get me to think like you for a little right. bit, put me in your shoes for a minute so I can understand what it's like to live there and understand and better myself. Okay. If people want to listen to it, they can, but I'm not forcing anybody to, I'm not shoving it down their throat, but I understand to better myself. I have to put myself in more situations that I have not experienced or might not have the capability to experience, whether it's of a different race, whether it's of a different thing. You know, you, you, you stroke, like you strike me off as at first being this political out like landish type character on your show. And, but we're having a real conversation now on your show. We're talking normal level to level because you understand what got views and what gets people like at least interested in listening is sometimes pissing them off. You know, it's a common thing, uh, you know, Trump does. Like there's no bad publicity. It's only good publicity because you're still mentioning the Trump name. You do things people don't want to talk about, but you have leveled head on your shoulders and, you know, it needs to be noticed that, you know, and it's all about that. interpretation and experience. Absolutely. Um, I have a vast array of information and knowledge, some that people would disagree upon, some people would agree upon, and some they may not have an opinion because it's a big learning thing. I've talked to enough people that I drop jewels. And again, this is not braggadocious, done nothing for me. It's, it's just the facts. And when I'm around certain people, I start to realize, and, and I've heard it from what they say, like, man, you know so much. I've had that reaction, whether it's at a bar, meeting a woman, meeting whatever other guys like they're very taken back by damn you know so much it, because everyone else around them doesn't <laughs> it just is what it is and i just have this high retention rate and again i did very little with it i'm hitting a renaissance now at my midlife crisis age situation but um yeah uh i raised a daughter i've run some business i run a business um I had a situation with computers where I, I earned my way to hiring and firing people. Um, I worked in the strip club business to where, you know, 30 girls were under my wing. I had to, I had to, you know, juggle 30 females where, you know, some were drunk, some were high, some was their time of the month. Some had baby daddy drama. Some had pimp drama. Some were making money. Some weren't. Um, that's a very hard job to manage in. I got a crash course on women and I got a crash course on juggling personalities. Anybody can manage inventory. Anybody can manage stuff. Managing people is a challenge, especially when uh, inebriation also comes into play or 
where they're not thinking straight. That includes the customers as well that can get violent or handsy or do things they're not supposed to do, as well as staff, keeping people motivated. That was a hard job. It was a fun job. And it was all sorts of, you know, there's worse things you can do than see titties all day at work. But again, um, that's why I'm also desensitized to nudity at this point. Uh, it also didn't help that my father left his naked, his nudity uh, books, as they said in National Lampoon's Vacation. I got a, st- a stack of nudity books this high. Um, but my dad wasn't reading Swing Shift. My dad was reading Hustler and Wee and Penthouse and Gallery and Club. And they were hardcore magazines. And I would find them under his bed that had no dust ruffle. And uh, at seven years old, I was exposed to some very interesting things. I think exposure sometimes is good only because it motivates you. It's hardcore pornography. Well, yeah, that, that's, I mean, that's good too, but I think you have to <laughs> maybe have to, have to realize <laughs> we like, got ourselves a groomer here, folks. That's uh, <laughs> like what a, what a Balboa, man. Rocky Balboa said it best. Sylvester Stallone and Rocky said, <laughs> what did he say? About, it's not about how hard you get hit. It's about how hard you get hit and keep moving forward. Right. That's true. You got to understand that those roadblocks in your life are temporary. You choose to let them become permanent. You know, you this can, is true. We, there are we, so we, many we things you can people. take and find meaning into something you can be truly passionate about. And if you don't have the drive or willingness to want to expand your life, you, if you're in a shit role, if you're in a shit life, you have the ability to change it. You can do what you want. I'm at fault for playing it myself, dude. I get comfortable, but at the same time, I don't see that as being my ending thing. I'm not going to choose to live the life I'm living in where, you know, whether it's in a job scenario or something, I'm going to better my life. But I realize I have to take what's happening right now in front of me and I have to realize it's not going to last forever. A lot of people see this with depression. Sure. Kids my age committing suicide more and more now is because the and adults, by the way, suicide problem highest exactly. ever. People are becoming very, very closed-minded and think every problem that's affecting their life right now is going to be affecting them for the rest of their days. That's not true. Part of it. Someone that has had yeah. depression, severe depression, and it got got gotten kind of motivated past that. I have my days, but it goes away. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. You don't need to. Some people don't know how to juggle it, man. You're right. Some people, it eats them up. It swallows them. The despair is worse than ever before. It's deeper, especially with young people. Like you said, there's no, there's no positive light in sight. Yeah. Sometimes you got to hold on, man. It it may not be a year away. It might be three years away. It might be five years away, but you're right. Nothing is forever. And again, you got to get a better grip of some of your own What's the lack of a word? But like you got to get the reins of your own life together because a lot of times people that do that, they blame all those other outside influences or forces for what pushed them to that point. But at the end of the day, man, at the end of the day, this is the sad fact. No one gives a fuck. You really are in charge of your destiny more than you think. And nobody cares, not even about their own family, let alone sometimes themselves. Look how many people don't groom. Nobody cares. They just did an article about people don't even change their underwear. They found out there are, there's like 18% of society doesn't change their underwear for a week. And like 50% of men will go like two or three days. Nobody cares. I'm just using that as an example. You clearly don't care about your hygiene if you're doing that. Bottom, bottom line. Flip it inside out. Well, there, you could do that or you could run it under the sink and give it the old squeezeroo. But uh, how, here's another idea. Buy more underwear. There's another fancy, 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 schmancy idea. Um, people yeah, your just car is out of gas. You got to fill it up or it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting metaphor. Um, and you already said you're a free baller like Leonard Skinner. So I kind of get it. Um, Honestly, it's too comfortable to be free ball and I don't even sleep. It anymore. can be. Well, you're the guy that goes to the strip club with no underwear and the sweats on and then he's walking out with that giant. I've never actually been prop. to a strip club. Is that so? It's, we don't have any in our area. Well, you're not missing out on too much. I'm going to tell you why. And you're, listen, you're a good looking guy, so it might be a little different for you. But at the end of the day, it, I mean, you know, listen. <laughs> you're not going to be my valentine but you know what i mean damn it uh, listen you're not hideous i think you know that there's there's people way uglier than you and uh they're going through that struggle the struggle is real but my point is is that 
they want money. And if you're going in those establishments with no money, you're not going to have a lot of fun. Uh, it's just how it goes. So to go there to just sit around and look at titties, you're not going to get any attention. It's, it's, you can go and be like a little voyeur. That's fine. But if you're not going, I don't mean you have to have a thousand dollars, but you know, you got to go with a hundred bucks and like, make it. I would, if I went to a strip club, I'd be too busy psychoanalyzing everybody. I'd be like, there's that. Well, you always want to sit down with a girl and do that with her. Why is your name cinnamon? But I think the whole aspect is they're not there to make relationships. They're there. They're there to make money. They're there to get as much money as possible to. And absolutely. And so, and I'd love to do a podcast talking about all this. The strip club. I've learned a lot. I'm going to, I actually plan on writing a a book or a handbook on uh, how to get over on strippers and escorts um, and just give you people an idea, like, you know, how to be more on the offensive than getting, um, you know, taken by them, but you're, you're 100% right. They're selling a fantasy. You know, part of that is, is that she's pretending to really like you and the good ones can do a very good job of that. Um, a very good job because it's, by the way, it's the same way they can do it with guys they go on dates with and pretend to be so interested and enjoying whatever's going on. But you know, they're just in it for that free dinner. By the way, another, um, poll came out, uh, especially with these apps, the tinders and the bumbles and the okay cupids and whatnot that what's all what's come about interestingly enough is that i think they said 33 percent of women polled go on these dates on these apps just for the free dinner they're literally taking advantage of the guy no interest in dating him no interest in seeing him again but they'll go out for that free dinner and it's starting to bite them rising not only in women either that's going to be with guys i mean the whole factor is everybody's looking for a piece of something everybody wants a piece for themselves the whole fact is your your company your business whatever you're doing is starting to get traction people are gonna be like you know i like what you're doing but you could be doing that everyone's trying to get a little bit of influence and a little bit of peace and ride piggyback your ride to success i think if you start relying too much on people you'll find that a lot of those people that you expect to be there at your beck and call when you really need them are not going to be there i've met very few loyal people in their in my life and i think i only have one person i know i can truly truly count on one of my best friends and that's Uh only because i've bonded with him over a way that a lot of people don't experience anymore a real conversation those types of conversations you have at a bonfire at two o'clock in the morning where you get the realness of somebody you don't remember exactly what was said but you understand like you would do anything and you'd be there at any time for that person we've we had an experience his brother passed away over an overdose and i've been more connected with this guy and the point that took him to become open on one of my podcasts the new year's my new year's day podcast was on new year's eve is my birthday we're sitting here drinking and watching the ball all go down and podcasting while it's happening and he we we drank so much to the point where like he was like you're my fucking brother like i lost one but i have one now like i have another one and i i I love you and i was like i heard that i was like it made me think of alcohol differently it made me think like oh my god it took him the this point to be open to say that someone that's closed off about his feelings most of the time he's one of my best friends even though we don't talk every day that relationship's always still going to be there I think people need to experience that. Yeah, it's good to have things like that. They're few and far between. They're rare. It's funny. I was just having a conversation with a close friend of mine that I'm planning to see in in uh, South Florida, and how along the way we've lost a lot of close friends that we don't necessarily keep up with that were very very close to us. And I think what spawned it was he went and visited one of them uh, recently. Well, two days ago, recently, two days ago, I had a barbecue there and, and they were like best friends and he hadn't seen this guy in many, many, many years. And it was really cool to hear. And you know, I was close with the guy too. We were all friends, but those two were closer. And just to hear how great it was and he had a great time and, you know, seeing his family and his kids and all that, whatever. And then just, we reflected upon the lost friends, people that I was very close to that for some reason, it just didn't stay I have two f- friends that I speak with that go back like years, like going back. Okay. So I graduated in 93 to put it in perspective from high school. And these were one of these people I knew since fifth grade. And one of these people I knew since eighth grade. Um, and I'm still close with both of them. One I get to see one. I do not. He's in Iowa and I, I have not yet visited him there. And I see him sometimes if he comes to Florida, he tries to avoid Florida. He doesn't like it. But um, yeah, you got to hold on to those valuable relationships, man. Valuable relationships, they, friends and people are going to come and go. 
lovers, wives, girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever the deal is, they're going to come and go. The things that you got to hold here, that's why I think family becomes so near and dear because family's not supposed to come and go. That's forever. But when you can make friends of any sort, any sort, whether it's through work, school, wherever you met them, church, whatever your thing is, man, hold on to that. It's a rare, rare thing. And uh, it's, I think, also one of our flaws that's happened more now. Um, you made a point about how families don't eat together anymore and share. Why was eating together so important as a family? Because it was that one moment of the day. Because everybody was gone working and going to school for all that time. Your only chance to now come together as a family was usually at the dinner table and share and hear about what's fucking going on. I can tell you that disintegrated in the 80s. I am a child of the 80s. All of our problems started in the 80s. The greed, the, the latchkey kids, the moms working now with the dads to keep up, and then the feminism movement of the 70s, the late 60s and 70s, pushing women into the job market in a way like, hey, yeah, I want to work too. That's fine. Your family will disintegrate. As a result, if you can keep it going, God bless you. It is extremely rare, but some people can do it. People that really work hard and go out of their way. But that was the beginning of the end of the family. Now, it was also a plan by the government. I hate to tell you, it's also in Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. If you can destroy the family, you can control everybody more and everything will start to fall apart. If you're really, if you're really trying to fuck with society, destroy the family. Coincidentally, one of the biggest reasons why the black community has the problems it does and they know it and they would admit it and everybody knows this is a fact is the lack of family, the lack of fathers and the lack of a family unit. It is a scourge in that community and it has been for many years. Look at the negativity. Now there's other problems as well and racism and institutionalism and all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where it starts. And now you see more than ever the Jerry Springer generation where even white folks that want to be down and want to be cool and this whole ghetto fucking bullshit that permeated our society since the 90s and now it's everywhere. There are no families. Everybody's raising kids, split, single moms being celebrated. This is a big problem Gavin McInnes runs into, that he's a big proponent against this. I'm a, I swear I actually started listening to my main influence, Joe Rogan, was from Gavin McInnes. Uh, Gavin McInnes is a smart, smart guy. I chalk up his thing for racism, that it doesn't exist, that the fact that someone's not going to ignore a conversation with someone on the fact of the color of their skin. If, if two guys are in a bar drinking and watching a football game and they're of absolutely different races, they're not going to not interject into this conversation about bonding over a team or looking at a sports event it just doesn't happen because you look at the guy and go oh he's black when he said that i was like that's true you're not going to deny yourself the conversation with that but people look at the intermediate aspect that someone of different color is going to think differently than you and you're not you're not liking that new perspective i'm like but i guarantee you they could be your best friend but you're never going to understand that if you don't take the time to know them that's true. It's not the color that's the problem. If you really want to analyze it really deeply, it's the stereotypes that come along with the color because it's not just the color. It's the same thing with Jews. So Jews is not about a color, but what people have a critical thing about Jews, right? Or a critical thing about Muslims or a critical thing about Bible thumping Christians. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's not even a color thing. It's just a judgment thing. How can I judge you? What, what's the best thing to judge you on? Or fat people or ugly people or you know what I mean? And what it becomes is what you're really judging is the stereotypes that come along with that particular um, category. Black people, what's the stereotype? White people, what's the stereotype? Fat people, what's the stereotype? You get what I'm saying? Uh, Asian people, what's the stereotype? They all have them. We can, we can discuss them if you want, but I don't even need to go into that. Um, that's what we do. And that's what comes with categorizing and tribalism and compartmentalizing and judging in that regard, uh, unfortunately. Um, I think you have to look at the whole true aspect of you choose the life and the road you want to walk and you let the problems in your path kind of 
block you off from what you truly want to become. Now, are you going to be that guy that says I made it through life? Or you want to say, be the guy that says I've accomplished life and I grabbed it by the fucking reins. I mean, the whole idea is, is a light, if there's a life short of happiness and awesomeness worse than a life of living forever or living to a hundred years old and not accomplishing anything. It depends on who you are, obviously, but I can tell you right now, I don't want to live to be a hundred. I know I see mm-hmm. people that live to be a hundred and where they're just miserable, like shit, shit doesn't work like it used to. No, it's tough. Yeah, it's, I agree. I saw them in the shining. I saw, I saw them. Yeah, they were struggling, man. They you were look struggling. like a goblin when you're 100 years old. Yeah, like, listen, I mean, they scared the shit out of me. I, I don't know if you really heard the story because I think you were doing something or reading something, but I'm telling you, it was like a shining. I would look down the hallway and, and they I would, would be tilting their, their head like, like all wonky. But it was scary, dude. You know, like you said, picture that goblin slowly, like, ah, yeah, they're not what are you there doing? anymore. They're not there anymore. And no, I, I was lucky enough to be able to meet my great grandparents and be connected with them. A lot of my values, I chalk up to my grandparents and great grandparents. My great grandfather was married for 76 years Mm -hmm. and he said it best. He said like, it's it love fades. It does fade, but it's about being connected with someone and finding someone you want to spend the rest of your life with. He's like, I grew up in the depression. I know what it's like to not have anything. It's possible. It's where I save all my money. I learned that from him. And well, anyone that was a part of that went through that's the toughest time America's had. He died six months after my great grandmother died. And I I believe it was like he died of heartbreak. Of hundred percent. I've never seen, you know how sad it is to watch your great grandfather cry. I saw that and I realized the realness, like there are where I, like in my immediate family, my parents did not get along very well. It wasn't, it wasn't a fault on their own. They just couldn't connect. They had problems in their own lives that they didn't know how to project towards each other. But I see my great grandfather. I'm like, he restored my faith that there is someone out there for everyone. And I saw that and I was like, I, like seeing him break down like that brought me to my fucking knees. So it felt like someone kicked me in the groin. I was down. And I see that. I'm like, you are who you choose to be. You care about who you choose to care about. If you care about the little things, the small bullshit that we consider immediate problems in our lives, and you choose to hold on to those forever and bitch and complain about them, you're not going to progress as a person, and you're just going to be more of a, a side effect to society or, a, or just a detriment to society. You have to understand that you are out there to find somebody. You're out there to find something. You're out there having a predetermined whatever you want to do. You only you can't change the past. You can only change the future. As sure. many quotes as I can read off of a back of a Laffy Taffy fucking rapper, there's no there's no easy way to get it through someone's head without them truly experiencing it themselves that there is something out there. Understood. Do you want to cut out on that note because of your computer? Yeah. Um if do you if unless you have anything else you want to bring up. Well, no, because we can keep going and going. I mean, there's really been no format here. Uh, I mean, I, we can wrap it up. Listen, I think we've talked for, uh, I don't see a timer anywhere. Do you? Has it been an hour? It's been more Something than like an that. hour. Yeah, okay. Fine. So, again, folks, you are listening to the Mr. Josh podcast. Uh, my first interview with a young man, again, that I met through Facebook. Very dedicated to the podcast movement. He's got his own thing going. He's got a very interesting format. He's just having conversations with regular people, digging in, letting people talk. I mean, it can go any way. There's really not a lot of structure. There's not a lot of um, putting bullet points together or whatever. It's just a good conversation. And I think he lets them lead the way. Everybody's got a different different walk of life and a different perspective. And then it's just a a back and forth, which is very interesting, very fascinating. And uh, how many episodes total do you have of this, by the way? I have about like 106 goes up tomorrow. Okay, so you know, he's over 100, hit his 100-episode anniversary. Congratulations. That's a big deal. And just seeing this through in this wonderful podcast community. Um, so this is my first uh, real interview with a subject, and I like this kid. Subject. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, when Robbie contacted me, I had no idea who he was. I didn't look at his page. I didn't vet him in any way. I just uh, messaged him, started speaking with him, found out he was half my age. And, uh, and that 
there's no reason to let anything like that stand in the way. Very mature, intelligent young man. And if he wasn't, I wouldn't be fucking sitting here wasting my time talking to some fucking asshole. Make that very clear. Um, that being said, uh, I appreciate your time. It's the Out of the Blank podcast that he hosts. And this will be, I think you're going to put this as well on yours. So this is the second episode that I will be on uh, uh, if he includes this into his repertoire. And uh, again, we'll, we'll, we'll stay in touch, my friend. And uh, anything you want to close out with? Uh, other than maybe a GoFundMe to get a computer cord. I want to go get a GoFundMe for Jason Momoa making Aquaman too. I think that's that would be a great idea. Bullshit. Uh, folks, he loves Jason Momoa. I'm sorry, say again? I said I think it's bullshit that Aquaman 2 is not happening. But I do want to – I think it's a publicity stunt. I don't, don't believe that. I think that's a publicity stunt. Well, I hope it is because yeah. – You know how much money is involved in that? They can't let that <laughs> – that ain't fucking going. Maybe it may take a month longer than they hoped. Maybe there's some shit to that. But trust me, that's not being scrapped. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm not, I don't know Jason Momoa. I'm not a Marvel fan. I saw Aquaman. I loved the CGI. I loved the story. Uh, terrible acting, terrible lines, forced love story. Everything I hate about Hollywood movies. I was always an indie film geek, but I liked Aquaman. I think he's good at what he does. He's very simple. Not a great actor. Eye candy, we get it. Stupid lines like fucking die hard, old dumb lines You're and shit. You're looking at the wrong point of movie. the movie, though. Huh? You're looking at the wrong point of the movie, though. Nobody ever really did an Aquaman movie, and nobody ever really was fucking sexy enough to play Aquaman. Well, they went with it. You're I not mean, watching Aquaman for the script <laughs> and, and all that. It's You're all about it. Momoa, dude. It's all about the Momoa. <laughs> You're watching plot lines when you should be watching abs, dude. I get it. I got Bruh, it. Let me tell you something. <sighs> the overanalyzation of Aquaman by Josh. Look, you got you got you got to pay attention. There's there's handsome people out there in the world. It, Give me another a, handsome actor that you that you Brad are. fucking Pitt, Ryan you, Reynolds. You said that. You, Ryan, you don't go Reynolds. off the edge, do you? Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds, good looking guy. You ever seen him in Amityville guy. Horror? Now I have a six pack, and I have a I have a I have a I basically it's a, an eight pack. I have a fixture on a appearance in a way which makes it very difficult not judging other people's but judging myself in a way i see that i'm like i go to the gym i know how hard it is to fucking get that i commend you sir and when i see somebody that has that it's not a it's not being gay it's not whatever you want to people no you know what it takes to achieve that i know what the persistence it takes i see someone with that and i see and i see something sacrificing to get that you know who really did that if you want to see and it's funny just i watch old vintage wrestling before we go out here the rock if you want to see a guy who really chiseled himself and really put in the time he watch go on youtube and put in old rock rocky mayavia when he first started before he really got his character fanny pack days this guy was soft he had muscles but he was soft he had fat on him and he has come a long way because then he beefed up and he is chiseled cut uh he really took it seriously another guy who did that as well by the way is dave bautista from the um guardians of the galaxy the the big dude his early wrestling always a big guy but not like he is now. He took it very seriously. Another guy that did that, by the way, was Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt was a soft guy. If you look at his early career, He's, he was even a little he went, chubby. He went back to his old ways. In Parks oh, and Recreation, he was a bigger guy, and then he got physically fit to play uh-huh. Guardians of the Galaxy. And then and now he softened up. Galaxy 2, they actually make fun of him putting on weight and stuff. But he's I'm like, living his life. You know what, man? I'm like, he's living, he's living a life of, like, not restricting yeah. anything. And like, That's so- it. He's enjoying his life. And you know what? Who gives a fuck? Like you said, no one should give a fuck. That's his life. But he's making big money. And I think that can also happen, too. He is on the high horse and I never would have guessed that Chris Pratt's star would be on the level. Put it this way. Chris Pratt is bigger than Tom Hanks right now. He's bigger than Al Pacino right now. Do you know what I mean? Big names in the pecking order right now, nobody gives a fuck who Al Pacino is or Robert De Niro. But they do give a shit about who Chris Pratt is. I think you have to look at, like, it's all about trends, too. But sure. also, anybody can be something but you have to start somewhere. Let's go out on that note. I like that. That's very simple. 
Anybody can be something, but you have to start somewhere. You should trademark that. It's probably Seriously. written on the back of a fortune cookie out of some sort. Or of a Laffy Taffy, which I don't even think there's anything on. Maybe a Bazooka Joe comic. I think it was... Laffy I think Taffy actually jokes on the back. Oh, okay. I, I think that was also written on a, in a bathroom stall that you once um, hung out with a couple of guys named Pedro in. And I but, tapped my foot on the ground in Morse code to try and get something. Out. Oh, so you know, you know about what I'm that. talking about there, don't you? That guy that got accused of that one. <laughs> he knows that, folks. Okay, we're going to save that for another show. This guy knows about the old urinal tip-tap, the old tippity-tap, the old tap my shoe two times, which means you're welcome into my stall. Josh, yeah, this is just one of many conversations <laughs> we will be having, trust me. I think it's great. This guy's got every <laughs> this guy's got every color handkerchief, folks. He's got the light blue, the dark blue, the brown, the yellow. They all signal something. Depends which pocket you put it in in the back pocket. Go to Greenwich Village and wear your handkerchief and let your freak flag fly. We commend you, Mr. Sixpack. Robbie from out of the blank, folks.